Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be with you here today, whether you're here in person or whether you're worshiping with us online. Today, we are wrapping up a sermon series from the book of Philippians that we've been calling Joyride. We're looking at the surprising places that joy bubbles up in the Christian life. So far, we have discovered joy in partnership, joy in humility, joy in new priorities, and joy in prayer. Today, we're going to discover what it means to have joyful contentment. Now, how many of you have played the game of Monopoly before? All right, most of you. Remember the chance cards and the community chest cards? Every time you land on one of those spaces, your fate is tied to the situation it describes, right? For better or for worse. You've been elected chairman of the board. Pay each player $50. Or my personal favorite, you have won second prize in a beauty contest. Collect $10. Doctor's fee, pay $50. Income tax refund, collect $50. With every financial hit, we watch our stockpile of money grow smaller and our prospects of winning shrink with it. But with every beauty prize or bank error or a tax refund, we start to decide the game is fun again. We all hope that we get more of the good cards than the bad cards, right? Because that's what keeps us in the game. So why are we talking about Monopoly? Because in real life, sometimes we tend to count our joy in the same way. We tie joy to our personal spreadsheets. Assets bring smiles, debits bring tears. And we end up with this growing sense of discontentment. But what if we could learn a way to find joy in every circumstance, whether in plenty or in scarcity. The Apostle Paul says that he has learned the secret. So let's learn his secret. If you'll open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of this word. Now, if you've been with us these past few weeks, you've probably heard that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi while he's in prison. Now, in a U.S. prison, you can at least expect what they call three hots and a cot. That's three hot meals a day and a cot to sleep on. But in Paul's day, when people were put in prison, they were on their own. Paul had to rely on friends and family to care for him and to help meet his needs. 
And so just like in the game of Monopoly, Paul's well-being seemed tied to chance. He was constantly wondering where his next meal would come from. And after what seemed like a long time without much provision, Epaphroditus arrives in town looking for Paul. He brought news of the hardships that the Philippians had faced, and he also brought a gift for Paul, probably a substantial amount of money since it had been worth the long journey to deliver it. Now, if we look at verse 10, it must have meant a great deal to Paul that a group of believers from a different country with limited resources had sent one of their own to bless Paul while he was in prison. Paul says that he rejoiced greatly in the Lord. The way that Paul describes the the way that the Philippians renewed their concern for him, at last you renewed your concern for me, it's like the arrival of springtime after a long, bleak winter. This is a gardening term, and it refers to a perennial flowering plant that has burst with fresh blossoms after a long season of dormancy. But Paul is careful, though, to emphasize that the significance of the gift was the meaning, not the money. Let's look together in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Now, here's where you kind of want to pull Paul aside and teach him a little modern-day etiquette about how to write a good thank-you note. I think Cherie Walker and Denise Thompson are queens of cotillion. They could teach Paul a thing or two about how to show gratitude, right? What does Paul mean that he doesn't really need it? Why would he say that? Well, because it's not about the money. Many people today struggle with the power of money. John D. Rockefeller was one of the most wealthy men in the world. And when he was asked how much would be enough, he replied, just a little bit more. You know, scientists have figured out how to put a a number on it. They have figured out the global average of how much money it would take for people to experience day-to-day happiness and how much money it would take for people to experience life satisfaction. And interesting enough, once you get above that income threshold, your happiness and your satisfaction actually begin to decrease. The drive for material gains, the pressure for social comparison are more likely to steal your joy. And Paul knows this, and he wants the Philippians to know too. It's not about the money. He is grateful for their gift, which shows how much they care for him. But he wants to let them in on a secret treasure that is worth far more than the gift they sent. So in verse 12, he explains further. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What does it mean to be content? Does it mean being happy with whatever is happening in my life? Is it somehow feeling detached from what's happening so that it doesn't affect me? Not exactly. God's not asking you to look at your problems, your financial difficulties, your illness, your family conflict, your loneliness, and to say, I like that. God is certainly not asking us in the midst of a tragedy like Uvalde or Buffalo to not feel sorrow or anger or grief. So how do we find contentment in any and every situation? Paul says that it is something to be learned. Now that's good news. Have you ever thought about that, that we can learn how to be content? Some of us are naturally glass half empty people and some of us are naturally glass half full people. When we ask our kids each day at dinner time, 
how their day was, to tell us one good thing and one bad thing from their day. One of our four children has all rosy things to say. Not a single bad thing ever happens in her days. While another one of our children has a whole laundry list of disappointments, and we have to work really hard to coax anything good out of her that's happened in that day. But even if it doesn't come naturally, the good news is that contentment is a skill. It's a spiritual discipline that we can develop over time. It's not something we're going to get just by wishing for it. Learning contentment takes intentionality and practice. So that's our big question for today. How can we learn Paul's secret of contentment? I think it's safe to say contentment is something we would all like to have. We just don't always know how to acquire it. The key, Paul says, to learning contentment is found in verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In this one verse, we find the secret to learning contentment regardless of our circumstances. Now, this is a really short verse, so it's an important one. We're going to take some time to dissect it bit by bit. First, let's take a look at what it's not saying. You've probably heard this verse before, right? Usually, we hear it quoted when somebody's about to undertake some huge athletic feat. Well, in 1996, in one of the most dramatic moments in sports history, Evander Holyfield walks into the boxing arena to fight Mike Tyson wearing this purple robe with Philippians 4.13 on it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Well, what he meant was, I'm about to beat up Mike Tyson. (laughs) And he did. Um, It was a legendary boxing match to be sure. And later, he would go on to wear Philippians 4.13 on his boxing shorts, on his boxing gloves. But did it make him unbeatable from then on? No way. Students, maybe some of you put this ver- thought of this verse as you were about to take finals last week. But you know that it's not going to have you crack an A, I mean, make an A without ever cracking a book, right? Okay. Clearly, Paul is not saying that we can do anything. Now, when I memorized this verse growing up, there was an earlier edition of the NIV Bible, the 1984 edition, and it did say everything. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But there's an updated translation that came out more recently that gives a little more clarity to what Paul is saying. Because clearly Paul's not saying that we can do anything and everything. Paul is saying that we can do all this. What he's referring to is exactly what he has just talked about in verse 12. Living in prosperity or adversity. Living in plenty or living in poverty. In whatever circumstances God allows in his life, he can experience God's joyful contentment. So then, what's the secret of Paul's contentment? It's his identity in Christ. Now, usually I like the NIV translation of the Bible the best, but, and it's the one we typically use in church, but we're going to have to use a little bit more literal translation um, to get to the heart of this verse. So the Greek actually says, I can do all this in him who gives me strength. And why does this tiny little preposition make such a big difference? Because in Paul's day, just like today, everyone valued self-sufficiency. But Paul takes this idea of self-sufficiency and he turns it on its head. Because contentment is not something that comes from within. The source of contentment is our identity in Christ. It's only when we locate our identity in Christ that we can truly experience contentment. One of the great church fathers, St. Augustine, famously prayed, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
Jesus talked about this identity in Christ as being like branches that are inseparably connected to a vine. He said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is Paul's secret to being content in any and every situation, remaining in Christ and Christ in him. This kind of true contentment can't be found apart from following Jesus. As we remain in Christ through situations of want, we learn patience and trust. And as we remain in Christ through situations of plenty, we learn humility and dependence, as well as the joy of being generous. So whatever chance cards the game of life may bring us, Paul says that the secret to contentment is being in Christ. We remain in Christ and Christ remains in us. And when I'm in Christ, the good news is that I have all the resources of Christ available to me. Paul says in verse 13 that one of those resources is strength. We may not be Evander Holyfield, but there's a supernatural strength that comes to all who are in Christ. The word Paul uses for strength is where we would later derive the term dynamite. As we learn to live in Christ, he's building up our spiritual muscle bit by bit. This power doesn't come from us, but from Christ. And when the need arises, Christ's powerful strength is available to us, ready for use. Paul faced more than his share of hardships. In the game of Monopoly, he drew way more bad chance cards than good ones. And yet, through it all, he can say, I can do all this in him who gives me strength. Now, I know some of you have faced difficulties in your life that have the power to rock you to the core. A job loss and the loss of the financial stability that comes with it. Or hearing those three dreaded words from a doctor, you have cancer. Or the seemingly unbearable pain of losing a child. And there's no way that we have the strength to make it through that on our own. As we remain in Christ and Christ remains in us, he fills us with strength to face whatever circumstances life may bring. In any and every situation, we can learn the secret of being content because Jesus is able when we are not. Now, sometimes our lack of contentment may come not from a lack of strength, but from a lack of supply. We simply don't have the resources needed to face the chance cards we were dealt. And so we find it hard to be content. And for this, we're going to skip ahead to verse 19. I promise that we'll come back and cover the rest later. This is another verse that I would guess that you've heard before um, and maybe even committed to memory. Verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, coming from Paul, who was unable to provide for his own needs while in prison, this is a statement he can say with confidence based on his own experiences. God has sustained Paul in prison when he was unable to provide for his own needs. And he can assure the Philippians that God will meet their needs as well. And the good news is that God doesn't meet our needs simply according to the size of our need. Why stop there? God's resources are not limited to the size of our needs. God will supply all our needs according to the riches of his glory. Well, once again, the key to it all is found in the ending here of this verse, in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we can enjoy all the benefits and the blessings of God. But the greatest blessing, the sum of all blessings, is Jesus himself. 
I like how one Irish scholar, Alec Macher, put it. He says that Jesus is not a channel along which blessings flow, but a place in which they are deposited. When we learn to live in Christ, we discover all the riches of God are revealed to us in Jesus. God supplies all our needs when we find that Jesus is enough. Remember that song we've sung in worship by Chris Tomlin? The chorus says, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. So we have these incredible resources available to us when we place our identity in Christ. We have the strength of our almighty God, who scripture says is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And we have the supply of God's riches, who scripture says is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. But when we find our identity in Christ, which is the secret to living in contentment, we discover that it comes with a bonus. It's kind of a buy one, get one special. When we live our lives in Christ, we also become part of the body of Christ. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the body of Christ is one of the primary ways that God chooses to meet our needs, whether financial or otherwise. This is why it's so important for us to be together, to be in relationship with one another. I think we've learned uh, some of what it means to be the body of Christ through the difficulties of the pandemic. How grateful we've been for the technology that has allowed us to stay connected and to uh, stay spiritually focused online through grow groups. And I know that some of you who have moved away from Dallas and have yet to find another church or who are physically unable to worship with us here in person, this has been a godsend. At the same time, sometimes disruptions like the pandemic can knock us out of healthy rhythms like gathering in person. And having done both, worshiping online and in person, there's something incredibly valuable about worshiping together in person, about laying hands on one another in prayer, about hugging one another in the lobby. And we want you to know that we are praying for a time when more and more of you can join us in person. We're not meant to do life in Christ on our own. Each of you, as you follow Jesus, does not function independently of one another, of every other follower of Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, what does it mean to belong to one another in Christ? When John preached several weeks ago from Philippians chapter 1, he taught us the Greek word koinonia. Remember that? He said it's a deep and abiding partnership or communion. It implies commitment and even sacrifice based on what people share in common. There's a mutual love that overflows in partnership where we value one another and help one another freely and joyfully. Now, I told you we would come back to those verses that we skipped over before. These verses describe the beautiful koinonia that Paul shared with the believers from Philippi. Paul says in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And this word share is that same word koinonia. He goes on to describe how the Philippians had served as the body of Christ for Paul, sending him aid on multiple occasions when he was in need. And when we're in Christ, we share this same type of fellowship and partnership with our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, as we participate in the body of Christ, we have an opportunity to bless one another through giving to one another and serving one another generously. And through the years, 
you would not believe the beautiful acts of service I have seen from this body of Christ. I've seen so many of you drop off meals and care packages from one another. I've seen you drive out of town to attend funerals and support someone. I've seen you stand in at weddings for missing family members. I've seen you attend sporting games and events for uh, children who are not your biological children. I've seen you mow lawns that are not yours, clean kitchens that are not yours, sleep in uncomfortable hospital chairs to support patients who are not biologically related to you. And the list goes on and on. It is so beautiful how you share in one another's troubles by being the body of Christ to one another in a time of need. Living generously with one another, whether meeting financial needs or serving one another in love, is the spiritual fruit of living in Christ. It's an indicator of spiritual growth. Remember how we said earlier that for Paul, it's not about the money? He emphasizes again in verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul's not keeping a financial tally of who has given him which gifts. What counts for Paul is the spiritual fruit that results from this discipline of generous living. See, as we give generously to one another, we learn to trust and to depend on God in new ways. When we give generously, we begin to prioritize the things that really matter in God's kingdom. As we give generously, the gospel begins to root and take, uh, to grow in our own lives and in the lives of others. And as we live generously, we experience the joy of living in joyful contentment. So Paul says that the Philippians' gift is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. By helping Paul, the Philippians have also pleased God. And God's not going to leave this gift unacknowledged or unreciprocated. Although Paul himself can't repay the Philippians' generosity while he's in prison, he lets them know that God will be the one to reciprocate. And it won't just be tit for tat, so to speak. Paul says that this gift is going to be sized not according to the Philippians' need, but according to God's riches. And to that good news, Paul concludes with a strong note of gratitude in verse 20. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to close with a story. There was a pastor who went to visit a handsome, strong young man in his congregation named Tim. Only Tim had lost a lot of hair. And his hair had gone from being thick and curly to thin. He was losing a battle with leukemia. After saying hi to Tim, the pastor was overcome with love and with grief, so much so that he was unable to speak. And finally, Tim broke the silence. He said, I've learned something. When you're in conversation with someone who's gone with, through what Tim has gone through, you learn to listen carefully. Tim went on. I've learned that life is not like a VCR. Now, students, that's like Netflix 30 years ago, in case you were wondering. But this one would take some explaining. So he said, what do you mean, Tim? It's not like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. The pastor just waited, trying to hear the meaning behind Tim's analogy. Then Tim interrupts the silence to say, but I have learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now, that's just enough. It was enough when Tim went through the waters of baptism that Jesus Christ was in the frame. It was enough when he walked the halls of his middle school that Jesus Christ was in the frame. It was enough when Tim launched into that unknown world of college that Christ was in every frame. It was enough as he faced countless doctors, 
and treatments that Christ was in every frame. And it was just enough as he breathed his last here and his first there that Jesus Christ was in every frame. Brothers and sisters, maybe right now you would give just about anything to fast forward through the scene that's happening in your life right now. But Christ is with you right now in this current frame. And that's what Paul wants us to know. As he put it, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace that is our stronghold when life rocks us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn this discipline and this secret of living in you, Lord, of placing our identity in you. Lord, would you teach us what it means, as John 15 says, to remain in you and to have you remain in us. We're so grateful that you promise to be our strength and to be our supply, that you are able when we're not, and that you are enough. And Lord, we're so grateful that you have provided this body of Christ, Lord, and that you provide out of your glorious riches for ways for us to meet one another's needs as well. Lord, in whatever situation we are facing right now, may we see Jesus Christ in every frame. And may it be enough. May we experience your joyful contentment in that. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.